You're here at episode 271. Are you wondering how cancer, forensic science, elite athletes, and emotional eating are all connected? It seems like an odd mix of things, but curiously, they're all a part of the story that led me to creating this podcast and the programs that I run. So I wanted to share it here on the show so that you could benefit and understand where it all comes from. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Are you rocking a good day? I hope so. I caught up with my lovely friend Shana Sarpi here in Melbourne recently in a real-life catch-up to chat on her show. We also caught up at a wedding not long ago as well. We're the cool kids. We're hanging out all the time. Shana is also a degree-qualified nutritionist and an emotional eating coach, and we had a yarn about emotional eating and the health mindset journey that you need to go on in order to be able to change the way that you show up for yourself in the space of health, which, of course, is a big part of what I do when you jump into my programs, and same with Shana's programs. By the way, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And if after this podcast, you're, you're feeling a vibe, then scroll down to the show notes below, click the link, and let's have a conversation about making you one of those people. In the meantime, here's me on the Shana Sapi Show. This week's guest on the podcast is Maddie Lansdowne, who is a scientist, nutritional therapist, and an emotional eating coach. So today we're going to be diving into the topic of emotional eating. I'm super excited to have Maddie here and we were just chatting about exactly what we wanted to speak about because Maddie also has his own podcast all about how not to get sick and die. So he's just a wealth of knowledge in this space and an absolute expert in the health field. So super excited to have you here, Maddie. Thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge. Thanks, Shana. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to go wherever we go. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get started by talking a little bit about what first got you interested in health and how you've ended up in the emotional eating space. Yeah. Okay. First interested in health. So I guess as a kid, my mum was a nurse. um, So I sort of grew up with, you know, mum going to the hospital every day. And even when I was really little, the hospital was actually kind of daycare. So I lived in a country (laughs) town and I would go to work with mum not to like crash or anything, to actually just run around the ward. Wow. Yeah. So Is that allowed anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. It probably wasn't there. <laughs> I love it. Go but, country towns. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it was a beautiful experience because yeah. I was around, you know, I was this really chirpy, extroverted, happy, bubbly little kid. And so, you know, I loved it, obviously, all of the attention from all of the patients and nursing staff and whatever. And so I, it was just such a formative chapter because I learned so many things about the universe and the world, different perspectives. And I learned how to knit and I learned how to play (laughs) rummy cub and poker and pool and all before I was five, you know, Um, it was so cool. But I guess that's an important part of the story just because it uh, sort of cements a connection with medicine and the hospital and just like it was a really positive experience being there and being involved and, and having my mum work there. So, you know, looking up to my mum as well, I sort of, it led to me growing up and thinking like, oh yeah, science and medicine is like the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. So I should be involved in that in some way, not necessarily having a drive to be involved in it, but just knowing that like, you know, that's the mark of a successful person. If they're involved in a hospital environment or a science or a medicine environment, they're obviously good, right? (laughs) And so that, yeah, so I grew up and I was a bit of an athlete growing up. So I sort of learned a lot about nutrition, at least you know, 20 years ago as a teenager, nutrition advice for athletes, which is not necessarily what I would go with now. Um, And then, yeah, moved to Melbourne uh, to do my uni degree. And I actually started with forensic science. So, uh, which is something that I wanted to do mostly because it sounded really cool. Uh, When I was a teenager, when people said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, forensic scientists, people would react and I'd I'd love the reaction. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to do that. Um, And then, yes, I went and did that. And then um, after that, I worked for a nutritional epigenetics company, um, which is where I sort of began, I guess, understanding just nutrition on a whole other level. Like, so Mm -hmm. I I kind of graduated, I guess, as a molecular biologist and then, yeah, worked um, in this nutritional epigenetics company where I started writing my thesis and my honours degree um, in lipid metabolism, which is, and in that company, what we did 
we essentially created like hyper personalized diets for based on people's genome. So it was all like wealthy um, colleges and very well off Olympians and that kind of thing with a clientele. Cause it was like, yeah, we're going to get your genetic information and then we're going to create powders, lipid, <laughs> carb, you know, fat powders that are um, basically based on your genome. Wow. So hyper-personalized nutrition. So, and then from there I ended up in working, yeah, at uh, Peter Mac and Royal Melbourne Hospital um, as a cancer scientist or as part of a cancer research team. Um, and that was where I sort of, I guess, you know, had my mind blown apart basically because um, I had yeah grown up with this connection and belief system about medicine being amazing and all of these different things only to realise that um, not many people get well inside of a cancer hospital. Um, and that's, for most of us, not the message we're raised with. You know, you go to the hospital to get better, you know, yeah. to, get, to get things fixed, to get repaired, to go back to your normal life and return to health. Um, and so it took me a little while to realise that most people that walk in the door never walk out. Um, or if they do walk out, they come back with the same problem. Uh, and so for me, that just sparked some curiosity into being like, why is this the case? And I literally jumped on the World Health Organization website because I was I'd been in the, the job about six months, and I was like, I really should start learning about cancer, like on a really <laughs> fundamental level. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to start from the front door, basically. Yeah. And the first sentence on that page, on the cancer page, and this was probably more than ten years ago now, it said ninety to ninety five percent of cancers diet, lifestyle, and tobacco. And I was like, why is this building? not about diet, lifestyle and tobacco. Yeah. It seemed super logical. And the next sentence literally said only 5 to 7% are genetic bad luck, you know, molecular SNP uh, mutations, that type of thing. Yeah. Whereas if you speak to probably 90 to 95% of people, they would assume it's bad luck. Yeah. You know, most you hear somebody say got cancer, everyone just kind of hangs their head and goes, oh, you know, there's that despair and the, that release of air from, their, from them. It's just like it's over, you know. Yeah. Um, when, yeah on the main page of the most Western medical organization ever, they're literally telling us that it's 90 to 95% diet and lifestyle. And so from that point, I just went on a bit of a mission myself to figure out that's what the World Health Organization is saying and hospitals don't look like that. Mm -hmm. Like what's going on? And that's where I got introduced to the idea of capitalism, which <laughs> I now know I was always a part of, but um, didn't, you know, I thought like... I guess all young naive people thought that everything was in the name of good. And, and so it's, it's not that I'm now anti-Western medicine or anything like that. I just think it really should be a pit stop for most people like to pop in, have temporary relief so they can get the rest of their life in order and, and together and the nutrition sorted and the behavior changed and the ideas and belief systems. And there's so many layers to what needs to be done, but instead of just the idea of, you know, that convenience. It's the convenience model, right? You don't have to change at all. Just take these pills, Yeah. you know, and the person still suffers. Like mm -hmm. they don't go home and they're like, wow, I feel 21 again. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't really give you that kind of relief. It's like, oh, okay, the disease has slowed down. Maybe it even did disappear for a short period of time, but very few people leave you know, with this new sense of wellness and health and vitality and like, yes, I can really begin the next chapter of my life. So yeah, yeah that's when I sort of went down the nutrition path and I started learning about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda um, and even Australian Aboriginal medicine and learning about all of these practices that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And I find, I found it really interesting that it was like, oh, so alternative medicine is really old, but the youngest medicine, Western medicine, is not considered alternative. It's considered mainstream, but it's only been around for 150 years. And I was like, and, and the fact that we're ignorant to think that we can't learn anything from that, because I think as well, modern day thinking is implies that knowledge is linear. It says today is the most amount of knowledge and intelligence that we've ever had. Everything yeah. before now, we were basi basically Neanderthals. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so once you realise that, oh, okay, we actually did know a lot back then and there's lots that's been forgotten and actively suppressed and, and for all sorts of, you know, conspiracy rabbit hole reasons, <laughs> um, that you start to realise that, oh, wow, there's so much more to the human body, to health, to medicine, to care, um, to capitalism. I don't think capitalism is necessarily bad. I think that the model, we've, the version of it we've got at the minute in the health world doesn't produce healthy people yeah. um, and so we have to come up with something where governments are financially incentivized to produce healthy people mm. uh, there's, there's got to be something that works there on a macroeconomic scale but 
yeah, that led me personally to be like, eventually I just can't be a part of the cancer business anymore because yeah. I really don't think it's doing much good. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of in that time, yeah, starting the podcast as well, I got connected with cancer doctors all over the world mm-hmm. that had left the industry and were curing people all the time, wow. like changing people's lives all the time with all sorts of, you know, woo-woo voodoo medicine, <laughs> which, you know, to you and I is probably pretty normal now yeah. um, in different third world countries and second world countries because they're not as highly regulated, right, like Mexico mm-hmm. and Bali and um, actually Russia does a pretty good job of alternative cancer therapies as wow. well. And so and I was like, oh, there's a whole world of people out there that are not just hippies. Yeah. They're like highly educated people that saw, I guess, something similar to myself and decided that to walk away and do things differently. Yeah. And again, it's not that it's like, yeah, it's not no medicine. It's mm-hmm. not no Western medicine. It's just, you know, we can actually balance this with you actually getting well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and that kind of arrives me where I am now, which is on that journey I realised that, okay, when I walked through clinic, I was like, visibly, everybody's overweight. Okay, so I'm going to become a nutritionist. Okay, so I did that and got a bunch of certifications, food as medicine, nutritional therapies, different things. And then I was like doing talks all the time and people were like, yeah, Maddie, we know what to eat. I was like, damn it. I just did all this study. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Let me tell you to eat more vegetables. Yes. And it sounds funny because like we're in such an information age, yeah. right? And so everyone I spoke to, and I'm lucky enough to have spoken in New Zealand and Singapore and like all of these different countries. Yeah. I've never spoken to an audience that didn't know, generally, mm-hmm. meat and veggies are pretty good. Yeah. Or the chocolate for breakfast is probably not a good idea. <laughs> everybody knows that. Yeah. Like intuitively. Yeah. And so I was like, if everybody kind of knows what to eat, like what's the next step? Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I guess, uh, yeah, I do what I do now with emotional eating. It's like our relationship with food, our relationship with self. Uh, and like, kind of like we were talking about before we hit record is like learning to get out of your own way because yeah. everybody, if we know what to do. The real question we want to answer is why don't I do it? Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the backstory. Amazing. And I love that you're also like specializing in that relationship to food and self. Like it's something that I do help people with as well. Yeah. So I feel like this is going to be even more fun to be able to have this conversation oh, totally. together. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, how true is it that it's like people know what to do or sometimes there's some things they can refine and that's cool Mm -hmm. too and we're there to support with that yeah but so often it does come back to that mindset and that's why I've also kind of pivoted into that because I noticed a similar theme to what you did and it's like yeah there's only so many times I can tell people to eat real food (laughs) and I can half on about it and I'll continue to half on about it because there's still people not eating real food like that's the reality but why aren't they eating real food and like yeah looking at the emotional side of why we turn to food for comfort and yeah just the way that we navigate the world and the way that we navigate our relationship with food and what's on our plate yeah it says so much about our relationship to self and yeah just how we feel about ourselves I feel like oh absolutely I think we're like there's so many things in the world that we're in currently Mm -hmm. that are actively and intentionally trying to mislead us so like I certainly don't blame anyone for the situation they're in, right? It's one of those, like, it's not necessarily your fault, but it's definitely your responsibility. Mm. And once you realise that, you're actually in the driver's seat. Yeah. And many people don't feel in the drive, like they're in the driver's seat. And I would say myself included, you know, for a lot of my life until I realised like, oh, like, I've inherited these ideas. Yeah. I just do things on autopilot that I've never even thought about, mm. you know, whether that be cereal for breakfast or whether be yeah. that, that be, you know, the idea that, this is how my money's meant to be or the, or how my relationship is meant to be. Yeah. Never questioning it and being like, oh, I can actually design all of it. Yeah, I get like, to choose. Like what? Yeah. Like, and that can be overwhelming to people as well 100%. because it's like that's a lot of work and decisions and maybe yeah. I, I don't even know what I want or who I want to be. Or yeah. <laughs> like I don't have time to cook breakfast every single day as opposed to just like, you know, putting cornflakes in the bowl, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it takes, a, it takes a bit of time. That's why the personal uh, development journey is it's a journey. It takes time and it never ends. So beginning that somewhere with the realisation of like, oh, I can do this differently or I can choose differently is like that's where we all got to start. Definitely. And I love that you brought that in as well because it is also about having that self-compassion along the way because Mm. it's like we've been doing something else our whole life And then we might be like, oh, okay, I know better now because I've learned someone told me to eat real food or someone told me I need to eat this way or like I can be healthy by doing X, Y, Z. So like rather than going and being hard on ourselves for not being able to switch that 
like flick that switch and just be like, oh, I do that now. Yeah, I get eight hours of sleep every night. Oh, I stress less. Like it's Mm -hmm. not that linear. It's like it is that journey and like understanding that it's okay if it takes time. It's okay if you find yourself self-sabotaging and there's just that inner work that you've got to keep exploring and learning more about that mindset side of things to help you actually be able to do those things without beating yourself up and just making the whole thing worse because then we end up in those cycles again where we're like, oh, I didn't do the thing I wanted to do. I feel shit about myself. I'm going to turn to food. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, and the thing I guess that we all just inherently discover on a personal development journey, um, which is both amazing and super confronting, is that the person that's the, the cause of all our problems is ourself. Mm. And so we're all, ha- all of us are having this in- internal battle, yeah. right? Of like, you know, oh, I've let myself down again or I've done yeah. wrong. And we're so conditioned as a society to self-punish mm. and self-harm. Like, and what I mean by that is mainly mentally, you know, yeah. like with severe judgment and, and, you know, lashings with the kind of words we say about our body in the mirror yeah. or, or the decision we made yesterday type thing. And it, it's just that is actually part of the familiarity cycle. Yeah. Like that's the, the people don't know any different because well, this is what I watched my mum do. Mm. This is what my dad told me that I should think about myself or that's how they thought about themselves. And then so we just grow up with this internal dialogue that's already in motion and already on autopilot and already in the subconscious part of the brain. So we're just like, this is is how everybody thinks, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that's why I love that idea of um, like speaking to yourself as if you're a child that you're responsible for taking care of, which is a Jordan Peterson idea. And I love it. It's written on my whiteboard at home because – Nobody would ever speak to a child, a friend, you know, and I mean, some, sometimes a family member maybe, but, you know, <laughs> children and friends, most people yeah. would never speak to them the way they speak to themselves. Yeah, we can be so brutal. So brutal. Yeah. And so it's like if we wouldn't stifle somebody else for making a mistake, mm-hmm. why are we stifling ourselves? But it's yeah. this conditioning. It's like, you know, these neurons in the, in the body and the brain, they're, they're hardwired, they're thick, they're strong yeah. because they've been carrying these messages for so long and it can feel really sort of disconcerting to venture into a space where that's not happening because your sort of personality and identity doesn't know that stuff. So it's like compassion, love, I don't deserve that. Like it it kind of feels gross. And even some of the people I work with, maybe the same with you, the idea of self-love is like, like I don't love myself. Like why would I love myself, you know? And I mean, you know, maybe it's self-respect sits a little better for some people. But, yeah, yeah, the idea that we, we... we do to ourselves what we would not do to others, yet we're only in our body. We're not in theirs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always say to people, you are literally the most important person in your life. Mm-hmm. Even if other people are really important to you as well, fantastic. They can be just like really important too. They can be really close to you. But you are ultimately like the most important person in your life. And when you realize that like you should be your number one priority, mm-hmm. that can be a huge shift for people for people because they've been living for other people their entire life and that in itself that's like a reconditioning that like can take time too because it's like oh wow I get to put my needs first like wait what do I even need (laughs) (laughs) like we can be that out of touch with ourselves and I know I was for so much of my life so even just that and being like oh cool I have permission to like put me first now and like on that journey to self-love and being like yeah well if I care about someone if I love someone Mm -hmm. I do what they need I listen to them so it's like why aren't we doing that to ourselves yeah and I think as well in that cycle of not putting yourself first is is that you also condition other people around you as to how they should treat you so it's kind of this double-edged sword or this multi-tiered belief system that you have about you not being worthy because it's like one I'm not worthy to myself of my own time and care and support and love but also nobody around me around me shows me that I'm worthy of that either. Mm. And that's another thing that we have to take back the responsibility for because if we have run around our whole lives putting everybody else first, everyone else is just playing the game that we set them up for. Yeah. Right? So they're not respecting us because we haven't told them that they should yeah. by setting our standard for ourself. Yeah. And that's one of the really great things that, that begins to happen when you start to prioritise self and you start to have the courage to be like, actually, you know what, this hour I'm going to jump in the bath. Yeah. Like is that cool with the whole fam or, you know, whoever you're working with or, you know, around. And you start building that expectation in everybody else that like, oh, okay, he or she cares about themselves or he or she wants space or needs things. Um, And so not only does it improve in your own mind, but then the environment around you is kind of forced to change. Having said that, I also work with people that uh, have people in their tribe 
that reacts negatively to that, right? Yeah. It's like, hang on, you've for 45 years, you've done this and now like you're not available at this time because you're looking after yourself or you're going to, you know, have a manicure or a spa or go to the gym yeah. or whatever. You've never done that. Yeah. Um, and, and that becomes really challenging because we're fundamentally pack animals. We're tribe animals. And so the people at home, the people at work, the people in our social group inevitably will tear us down to their level unless we find some way to recruit them yeah, to our healthy mission. Raise them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or we find another tribe, which is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. It can be really scary. And that's like something a lot of people do notice when they start like walking this healthy path mm. and putting themselves first. Like it can lead to relationships falling apart and like friendships ending and things like that. Because if they don't have your best interest in heart, you've at the end of the day, you've got to put yourself first and be like, okay, like it's time to just put me first and find people who do value me, who do put me first as well, who do like respect me and want me to grow rather than pulling me down. And it feels scary. Like you said, like it can feel really terrifying, but it also when you through the other side and you're in that tribe that really is lifting you up, it's so empowering. And just knowing that there are people out there who do want you to thrive. um, And if that's not your current reality, then yeah, either like encourage those people to come up to that level or find new people yeah yeah like which as you said you know it's the same thing with conditioning our nervous system for how we've treated ourselves if if these this family member or these people have been around since we were 15 or 10 or 5 or even in our 20s you know it's like oh who who are my friends if I don't have them and you know what if I don't have these relationships anymore and and I guess part of that is trusting the process right that the universe will will provide but there's so many healthy groups of people that are lifting one another up. Like, you know, yeah. you and I are part of many of them, yeah, right? Absolutely. There's, yeah. there's an abundance of fantastic yeah. people that are learning to do these skills and nobody, nobody in those groups, you know, you don't have to get imposter syndrome and think oh, I can't join the healthy group because I'm not healthy yet, you know, or I don't fully love myself yet. It's like, we're all battling with this stuff. Yeah, it's like, a lifelong journey. Are you a human? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're having these conversations in your head, you yeah. know, on a pretty regular basis. It's I think the the skill that develops is the ability to negotiate faster. Mm. It's not that you silence the you know the voice in your head, the inner critic or the yeah. judge or anything. Just when that that voice pops up, you say, "Oh yeah." I see you there. Yeah. I know why you're here. I know where you came from. I know what you're trying to tell me. Thank you. Thanks thanks for being a part of the choir of opinions in my mind. Yeah, so true. (laughs) Yeah, whereas I guess formally we all would have just been like, yep, you're right, you're right, I suck, I'm shit, I'm terrible, Mm. I'm not going to go out tonight, I'm not going to wear that thing, I'm not going to, you know, do the thing. Actually what I am going to do is I'm going to do more of what got me here. I'm going to punish myself with the thing that I know that I should be avoiding. Yeah. And then we go down the spiral. So I think, yeah, it's just the ability to negotiate that gets that gets better and better over time. Definitely, yeah. And it's even that element of like the journey of self-love is loving all parts of us. Mm. So if we were to say, oh, inner critic, you are awful, I can just like shun that opinion and like really just be like, no, nah, that's a terrible part of me. That's kind of going against self-love. It's more what you're mm-hmm. saying. It's like being able to negotiate with that part, see that part, validate that part, be like, I get where you're coming from. It's okay. Because ultimately that part's just trying to keep us safe. Yeah. Like it's just there because it's trying to keep us in our comfort zone where we love being as humans. Like we love being comfortable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that change is scary. Growth is scary, which is why those parts and in that inner critic can come up. But just being like, yeah, cool. I hear you. I see you but I don't have to subscribe to that anymore. Like you said, like negotiating with it, it's so powerful as opposed to like, I still see a lot of stuff where it's kind of like, no, that part of you just needs to go like kill that part of you. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really like full self-love and self-acceptance because that's still a part. Like even if it's not behaving in the way it should quote unquote behave, like it's still just a part of you yearning to be loved. Absolutely. And you brought up something there too about, um, you know, sort of that triggered a thought in my mind about the way that we progress through this stuff. And I'm not sure how you work in this space, but what I find is a lot of the people I work with when we're doing the relationship with food stuff and the diet culture stuff is that diet culture has really um, conditioned people to take a massive jump off the cliff on day one. Yeah. And so if we're talking self-love, emotional eating, but even just your general weight loss diet, right? Yeah. It's like it's a it's a dramatic change on day one. And sure, you get rapid results, you know, in two weeks and you feel amazing. You might feel amazing and be really hungry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of diet. It's like, yeah. oh, I fit into the thing, but God, I can't wait to eat again. Yeah. But the, but the thing as well that our nervous system reacts to and our personality and our identity is that when you are that far out of the comfort zone, 
is that you can't wait to get back because th- that far away from comfort is too far. Yeah. And you you um, trigger these real deep evolutionary parts of your brain that say, I'm not safe, I'm not mm-hmm. secure, and I can't be certain of what's going to happen next. Yeah. Which is the evolutionary part of our brain that is used to s- sitting in the jungle, making sure that lions aren't coming, that tigers aren't coming, that we can locate food soon, you know, yeah. and be- in the modern world when that's not the concern, we're worried about you know, being judged by somebody or not getting our next dopamine hit from, you know, the Mars bar around the corner or whatever the (laughs) thing is, right? And so I'm really big on taking what I call it one tweak a week Mm, is that that. we've got the the comfort zone and then we just take a tiny step on the other side of it yeah. so that we can still be like, all right, most like 90% of my week is going to be safe, secure and certain, so I'm not going to flip out, you know, um, but the other thing you've got to accept doing this is that results come much slower. Yeah. Like that's that's just the reality. I know it's yeah. not sexy. You know, I can't. But it's longer lasting as well. Like you said, yes. it might, you know, might not get those two-week results, but it'll like take longer, but you'll have that for life. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's more fulfilling too. Like yeah. a lot of people at the end of it, they're just like, even if they haven't lost the weight, weight they want or anything like that, they're just like, I just, I'm just happier in my mind or yeah. my soul or I'm just being kinder to myself. And that's. Yeah. That's worth so much more. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, once we get the, the body healthy, then if we're, we're talking weight loss or anything like that, gut health, then that will likely follow. Mm-hmm. Because taking that level of stress out of the system as well yeah. is so important for the gut health, your mind health, like your relationships, the way that you show up for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but we, but in my opinion, we've really got to do it at one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that one step or that one tweak for that week, Sometimes that take four weeks, like yeah. or five weeks. And this personal development stuff. I had a client recently. She said, um, "She's like, Maddie, I've I've counted up all the tweaks, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be here for five years." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> you're probably right." Yeah. <laughs> personal development. It's it's a long journey, but yeah. at least if we do it that way, we can actually actually square things away and be like, "All right." I've gone up one small step and I actually really know how to do this to the point this is my new comfort zone. Yeah. And we go to the next step and then we expand the comfort zone until yeah. we get all the way to the other side. Whereas I think diet culture conditions people to be like, like all right, Monday's the diet. I'm building up, building up yeah. all of this like, ready, go. Yeah. And then it's like, don't eat the thing, green smoothies only. <laughs> like, you know, don't go to Friday night drinks. And then like they're waiting for like week 13 of the 12-week program when they can just be like, oh, all the tension is released. Yeah. Give me the pizza, give me the chocolate. I weighed in, I got the thing, I got on stage or whatever. Now I can go back to who I was before. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I, if somebody reaches out to me and they inquire and say, Maddie, I've got a wedding in six weeks, I'm like, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Like I, I that's, that's not how we yeah. work. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm not here to perpetuate more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, oh, really? I've got to want to do it long term? I'm like, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you when you're ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a ring in five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't go do your quick fix. You'll be back. <laughs> how do you work within that like uh, diet space, like people coming out of that diet space conditioning type stuff? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I'm similar to you. Like if someone's like, I need to be ready for a particular date or a particular thing, it's like that's mm-hmm. really not how we work and we've got to like look at why you feel that way mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like opening 
the door to just a different way of looking at food and a different way yeah. of looking at health rather than being like, oh, I do it because I've got this thing coming up. It's like, no, I do it because I deserve to feel amazing and I believe mm-hmm. I'm worthy of feeling amazing. And if we don't feel that yet, then getting to the point where you know that that's the truth that you deserve because everyone does deserve to feel great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, regardless of where you're currently at, regardless of how you currently feel or whether you feel worthy or not, everyone deserves to be thriving and like healthy and vibrant and radiant. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> like course. Like all of these things. Um, and just coming at it from that place rather than being like, oh, I don't like the way I look. I need to change that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to seek help because I need to change because I'm not happy with mm-hmm. who I am or where I am. And it's really just shining love on them and just being like, yeah, okay, cool. I totally understand. I've been there too. Mm-hmm. There's times where I was like, yeah, I need to like do a diet or I need to cut like um, cut things out or count calories. Like I've been through the whole diet culture, mm-hmm. um, all the different things. I get it. Um, but then when you come to the other side and you realize there's so much more to food and health and yeah. just helping people see that as well. It's so rewarding, especially when like working with them and they think I'm going to be teaching them all about like, this is what you eat. This is what you do. And it's actually completely different. It's all of like this inner work that we're talking about. It's mm-hmm. all like that self-love journey. Like there's even stuff on boundaries that I do with people, which it's like, you wouldn't expect that when you're thinking yeah. you're coming into something for like emotional eating, weight loss, getting healthy. It's like, hold on, why are we talking about boundaries? But it just makes so much sense because yeah. like, that's where we need to go. And we've even touched on boundaries already in this episode. And it just shows yeah. how important things like that, even things like communication or knowing your own needs, like we were talking about before, or emotional regulation, all of these things are actually more important than like, yeah, the thing you eat on your plate sometimes. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Eat real food, yeah. whatever diet template you like. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> carnival, vegan, whatever. Yeah. Like eat real food. The emotional stuff's definitely the real work. Yeah. yeah. And but- it's interesting. People come at it in different ways um, mm-hmm. and like have different journeys of arriving here and there's no right yeah. or wrong. Totally. But it's really exciting when people are ready to be like, okay, I'm ready to look below the surface. I'm ready to look at like why I'm like on and off these diets and like on this roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're ready to look at that. I like when you um, started talking about the people that come to you that want short-term results. Yeah. I like that you said that, um, you know, you want to look into why you feel that way. Exactly, yeah. Because it, it triggered some thoughts for me about um, some previous clients that were in magazines in like the 90s or even some that were in magazines in the 80s. Yeah. And they, they'd show me photos of like when they were at their peak fitness or they were an elite athlete and they were like, looked the best in my life felt the worst, was bulimia on the back end or was like smashing donuts after this photo shoot or yeah. and it's like it's funny the way that I guess nowadays it's obviously social media and mm. these hyper-sculpted bodies and like I think one thing that is understated on social media is the amount of men and women on steroids. Yeah. Like <laughs> unless you know what you're looking for with bodies on roids. Yeah. Like so, like it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And we're, compa- we're all comparing ourselves to these bodies yeah. and it's like, oh, so if I just eat this, then I'll look like that. And it's yeah. like, oh, there's a few layers of secrets going into that body. Like, yeah. um, but it's the same thing. Like we're trying to chase this short term look amazing with the idea mm-hmm. that I'll also feel amazing. Yeah. And it's interesting that at least in my experience, everyone that's been at that peak level of fitness or in shapeness Mm -hmm. if that is the definition of in peak right Uh, like they felt awful yeah mostly you know unless unless we're talking elite athletes I've got a few elite athletes friends that just love the sport and love performing and like you know that's just how they do things but um but yeah for many of us that are driven especially on that superficial level of like just image yeah like if I'm happy with how I look in the mirror then obviously my soul will be full of joy yeah and it's like (laughs) mostly doesn't work that way it's flipping the (laughs) script and that's what showing people that it's actually like actually if you feel amazing if you feel healthy Mm -hmm. then you'll also look amazing because you'll be doing the things that need to be done to be at your optimal health to look at like to have your dream body yeah Um, and it comes it's backwards and it confuses us because it's like against everything we've ever thought we're like oh no but I've got to have it first it's like actually no Mm. you just got to arrive at that feeling and then it flows and then there's less resistance and then you're less attached to like that exact body and 
like having to have that for that external validation. It's more like the validation's coming from within, the feeling's coming from within and the rest just flows. And then when we're at that feeling, we don't feel like we need to turn to food. We don't need to turn to all the other things because something I talk a lot about and I'm sure you would as well, like emotional eating is just one vice. It's one of Mm. our escape techniques. It's the same as like scrolling social media, um, binge watching Netflix, alcohol, drugs, like many people have ways that they distract themselves and it's not always emotional eating and some people be like oh no I don't emotional eat I will bullshit on that ultimately I feel like most people <laughs> do emotionally eat whether we admit it or not are you in the world with sugar you probably <laughs> yeah <do>. exactly it's <laughs> like it's just kind of like we were brought up to have food for comfort and sure food mm-hmm. like it's supposed to be pleasurable yeah but there's also like a line of where we're turning to it because we're trying to avoid our emotions or we're turning to it because we want to feel good. Like yeah. it's discerning what we're actually turning to food for. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like whether it's emotional eating, whether it's social media, whether it's Netflix, like there's stuff under the surface there. And mm-hmm. when you deal with one, you're dealing with them all. So like yeah. people might come to us for emotional eating, but then they're also watching less Netflix or whatever streaming device because there's so many, yeah. <laughs> all the things. They're scrolling social media less. They're using it more intentionally. Mm-hmm. They might not be having as many drinks after work because they don't feel like they need to escape their life. Yeah, They might not stop taking drugs. Like whatever their vice was, that's also like a byproduct of working on the emotional eating and going mm-hmm. into this personal development journey and doing the inner work. Have you noticed the same? Absolutely. And it, what it, what I thought of just as you were talking there is that it's the idea as well with that fad diet culture of willpower, which is just remove the problem. Yeah. And as if nothing is going to fill that void. Yeah, It's exactly. just like remove the emotional vice that helped you get through the week or the day or whatever it is. And just pretend like you'll be fine yeah. with no support. Yeah. If the chocolate supported you before <laughs> and we put nothing there, that system's going to collapse, yeah, right? you're just going to be right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think that's where we've got to discern like um, escapism and the actual processing. Yeah. Because I'm really big on actually replacing emotional eating with another escape method mm-hmm. with the plan to process at a better time. Yeah. Because okay. very rarely do we have in our busy lives the opportunity to process on the, on the spot. Yeah. And very rarely do our egos want to. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to be like, oh, okay, it's happening now. Okay, yeah. let's fix it. All right. You know, maybe you're in a board meeting at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. You can't, yeah. pro- you can't process. No, it's not the time. Yeah, we need, yeah. instead of grabbing the chocolates in the middle of the table or the sandwiches, yeah. we need another escape method yeah. to be able to compartmentalise and allocate time later to process. And I yeah. think that that willpower idea in conventional diet culture mm. is the just escape you'll be fine yeah like and inevitably that falls apart whether it's like a big a big binge a few weeks later to make up for a few weeks of willpower yeah or whether it be like as soon as I get out of this meeting I'm going straight to the cafe or you know getting up from the desk to go and eat simply as a as a you know I don't feel like I can do this task whatever it is yeah you're trying to get away from the moment yeah so I think yeah we've got we've got to develop healthy escape yeah but also process allocation time yeah and make sure you actually follow through with the process allocation time yes. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because I even say to people like we might think of emotional eating as turning to like the junk foods, quote unquote, like mm-hmm. in turning to things like chocolate, lollies, whatever it may be, like everyone has different vices and things they turn to. But it's not just that. There have been times in my life where I was emotional eating and I was like eating nuts or something. Like it was mm-hmm. just for the act of eating and distracting myself. Yeah. So it's not like... I'm trying to use the right wording here because there's like no good or bad foods, but it's not mm-hmm. like it's those junk foods all the time. Yeah. Um, it could be like berries that you're just like eating more than you need or you're not eating because you're actually genuinely hungry. It's the emotional eating yeah. coming in. Yeah. So it is really important to recognise that even if you mm-hmm. don't think you fit the textbook picture of emotional eating or whatever it may be, there could be some like something playing under the surface, you could still be doing it, but just turning to a different type of food and then yeah. being like, oh, but because that's a healthy food, it's fine, right? And it's like, oh, well, like where's it coming from? <laughs> yeah, well, and, yeah. On, and on a biological level, were you eating for hunger? Yeah, exactly. Like, and like knowing the difference between actual hunger and yeah. emotional hunger, that in itself is one of the first things I teach people Yeah, because it's like we've got to be able to differentiate them because sometimes we don't realise when we're emotional eating and we yeah. find ourselves eating and then we're like, wait, was I even hungry? And it wasn't until after that we realise. Yeah. Um, and just starting to be able to recognise that so that we can like be, be on the front foot and be like, oh, okay, that's not true hunger. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do instead? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. We work so similarly. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Collab coming up. <laughs> it's funny because I get a lot of, um, I, I mean, health and wellness generally attracts a, a mostly female audience, generally speaking. And my podcast, the same, and my, my own programs, like, you know, 99%, you know, women and women that are much older than me often too. And I often get the comment, like, so you're a man that works with emotional eating for women? Like, yeah. what do you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just funny how it's like, yeah, people, I guess, don't, uh, can't imagine a man talking about feelings. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't <laughs> Two it? Two women. Yeah. Or, yeah. And it's just a sign of showing that, like, how detached as a society we are from our feelings, particularly, yeah. like, like everyone, but even, like, men. You think about men expressing their feelings or showing their feelings and it's like, oh, no, like, they don't do that. What do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. they have to, like always be calm and strong and grounded and like that really strong masculine presence like Mm -hmm. no actually there's so much strength in the vulnerability and the emotion too yeah and needing to normalize it for men as well and like even men might not realize their emotional eating because they're like even more detached like women we might realize and we might be more like I don't know observant of that Mm -hmm. or we talk about it more maybe maybe it's simply that but it's like there are also men who need this help too but I love that you are helping women and like yeah, I'm sure that all of your expertise, all of your knowledge and probably your past experience too, like would just feed into that and just being able to help you support people regardless of gender, regardless of age. Like yeah. this is the thing, like everyone can help regardless of how gender. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a funny little little thing. But yeah. I, and I guess, you know, that it, it opens up an interesting conversation, you know, around men and feelings and communication. And yeah. it's like my own definition of like, you know, manliness and masculinity has totally evolved over my own healing journey. Cause once yeah. upon a time it was like, yeah, no emotions, grit, strong, you know, just get, get over it, get on with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a place for all of it. Like, right. But now I'm kind of in a place where it's like, no, I, th- I feel like the ultimate masculine thing is capacity for compartmentalization. Mm. It's like that's ultimate control of self, right? Yeah. It's like the ability to take some massive ego trigger that's happening right now yeah. and be like, I'm going to deal with that later. Yeah. <laughs> <Noted>. <laughs> to me, yeah. that's kind of masculinity. It's not yeah. It's not that I'm not going to cry at a funeral or, you know, yeah. not going to be upset about a breakup or something like that. It's just that it's like there's a time for that. Yeah. To me, that's how I kind of you know, apply the masculinity to emotions. Yeah. It's like, it's just more yeah. structured maybe. Yeah. I don't always do well at it. <laughs> yeah. You're human. We're all human. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah. I think, I think, yeah, a lot more men would be, would benefit from just learning to express. Cause yeah. I, I think as well, it's not even necessarily the lack of expression. It's a lack of words. Mm. I don't even know what the feeling is. Yeah. Like, and, and many of the women, same that yeah. I work with, like, you know, they might be forties, fifties, sixties and grew up in a much rougher, you know, era or family than, yeah. than I did. And they might go through the week one of the program. They're like, I don't know what I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, what's the feeling? Yeah. Like, haven't felt anything for like 45 years. And You're numbed out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, however, yeah, we find out that there's like lots of food, lots of Netflix, lots of social media, lots of arguing with the partner, like yeah. all these layers of escapism yeah. to get away from like what am I feeling? Yeah. And that literacy, like it's so important to get self-literate in like what am I feeling? What's going on in my body? Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's such a good point too. And even just like when you ask someone like, how are you feeling? Like not Mm -hmm. how are you? Like if I genuinely ask someone, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. The response is usually good. Or if Mm -hmm. it's not so good, they're like, oh, you know, not bad. Like there might be some hesitation, but it's always good or bad or okay. Mm -hmm. Like, but they're not feelings. Like that's how a feeling can feel. A feeling can feel good. It can feel pleasant, but Mm -hmm. that's not the feeling. Like what's the actual feeling there? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like even just that distinction and people being like, oh yeah, good isn't an emotion. Like what am I feeling underneath that? Like, (laughs) oh, there's some joy there or there's some excitement or, or, or whatever it may be. And starting to be like, oh, cool. There's so much depth to the way that we feel. Yeah. And one yeah. of the um, the things that they've found in clinical studies of um, psych therapy, like psychotherapy with um, trauma and that type of thing, is that the people with a larger vocabulary mm-hmm. of labelling their emotions are far more likely to make progress than people with a smaller vocabulary. Yeah. And so one of the things that I do in the beginning is give people the emotion wheel. Yes, like, me too. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Because like, cause like you said, good and bad are very big categories. Mm-hmm. Like having a slightly bad day and having 
the biggest trauma of your entire life, both of those fit in bad. Yeah, that's so true. Right? <laughs> There's a big spectrum. There's a massive spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So if we've got if we don't have the literacy to be able to distinguish the different phases of our grief or sadness or trauma or okayness or happiness, then we're not progressing. We're just yeah. we're just like oscillating between good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Yeah. And so yeah, with this research that shows the more that we can communicate and identify and label which actual experience we're having right now, the more likely we are to move positively to the next one. Yeah, so true. It's a fascinating one, isn't it? It is. This it is, is the stuff we should learn in school. Like, I why know, is like taxes. No, yeah, taxes, <laughs> emotions 101. Like, where is this stuff? Totally, totally, yeah. Damn school, not yeah. showing up for us again. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, what do people think when you start, like, diving into emotional eating and, like, actually talking about emotions? Mm-hmm. Um, Because I find people often will like come to me for emotional eating but think like the answer is in like what they're eating or be Mm. like, oh, I just need to like cut this thing out or eat this food group and I'll be fine, the cravings will be gone, I won't emotional eat. But then you actually start literally talking about emotions as emotional eating the name suggests. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oh, yeah, like what, there's feelings underneath this? And it's like I was at that point one day too, I didn't even realise that there were emotions that I was avoiding Mm -hmm. and that's why I was eating. Um, when I was emotional eating, not all the time, obviously, <laughs> just to make sure I just, <laughs> um, yeah. So what's like, what do people, what's their response or reaction when you really do start deep diving into the emotional health and mindset work when they potentially could think they're coming for something else? Like what's your experience with that? Yeah, I think people are shocked. And I even say this before people jump in, like for the whole first month, we don't do anything to do with food. Yeah. We, I don't tell you what to eat. Yeah. And so but people in that that first month still, like we'll get on a coaching call and we'll do the wins, you know, like what are your wins for the week? Yeah. People will be like, oh, I stopped eating this. Like, <laughs> and so they, they're still feeling that pull towards the material yeah. of like do the action, cut the thing, like remove the bad, you know, that kind of thinking. So one of the things I have to rein in is like I have to remind people, hang on, we're not there yet. Like yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing that stuff. Like we're, we're going back to just assessing what's actually happening in your day-to-day life without changing anything. Like, yeah. so I find that one of the biggest challenges is keeping people on task of going out of the emotional and into the material. Yeah. Um, and I sort of, I, I talk to it as well in the beginning, a lot of being like your inner child mm-hmm. wants to be told what to do. Cause that's easy. Yeah. There's no responsibility necessary. You're just like, Maddie, just tell me what to eat. Yeah. I don't have to think. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, I, so I tell people, you'll feel this pull. You'll want to ask me the questions. You might get annoyed with doing the emotional work and be like, oh, just tell me what diet will make me lose weight. Yeah. Like, like all of this will come up yeah. because it's resistance to change. It's resistance to doing things that are a bit more difficult. And in our, you know, world that we've got these days, like everything is so incredibly easy. Mm. That dopamine experience, that pleasure response is accessible a million times a day via our phone, via 7-Eleven at 3am on a Tuesday. Like we can get it everywhere. Yeah. So conditioning people out of that rapid dopamine, you know, response of like, oh, do thing, get result. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, we've actually got to spend a bit of time here and it's not sexy and it's You'll probably cry. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I find that's the big thing is that people just naturally feel pulled to be like, talk about nutrition, talk about food, tell me yeah. what to do. Am I doing the right thing? Oh, I'm doing this intermittent fasting ratio. And I'll be like, who mentioned intermittent fasting? Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Yeah, like, what? Yeah. What are you doing? Come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have that? Um, I think because once they're in, they realize that we're going deep into the emotional health mm-hmm. world. And like my program is like not about nutrition and like mm-hmm. I answer nutrition questions if they need it. And like there's a forum for that, mm-hmm. but it's more about the inner work. I think once they're in and they realize they're like, oh, okay. Like this is, she's not kidding when she <laughs> says we're doing the inner work, not the outer work. <laughs> like yeah. it's literally the inner work. And yeah, like you brought up inner child, like I have an inner child week as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I feel like they kind of just get into the groove of knowing like, oh, okay, this is about like the inner work now and mm-hmm. knowing that the food stuff changes just by doing this inner work. Yeah. Um, and that's how I noticed the most results on my food journey as well. Like when I actually did the inner work and I stopped trying to control all the external, mm-hmm. it just fell into place. Like, nice. I, yeah, I would do this stuff for myself and then I'd be like, oh, cool, I'd show up for food differently. I show up for myself differently. Like I'm not turning to food to escape things mm-hmm. because I have these emotional processing te- techniques and I do what I teach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I find 
the women that have been through my program so far are like, yeah, they kind of get that it's like we're there for the inner work, we're there for the emotional health, the mindset stuff. Um, And, yeah, of course, there's a space for the nutrition too. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's like that deep dive. So I haven't had the same thing where they've like turned to the food or that's been the wins. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I'm curious as I do work with more people through the program, like what changes or what I what I observe and notice. Well, because I've got that combination of like we the first half is the sort of psychology, mindset, emotion stuff, yeah. and then the next half is like food. Yeah, I for a long time now you can't access anything that you're not meant to access because yeah. people like will jump in and be like, "Maddie, week seven's yeah. not open." I'm like, "It's day three. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like what are you doing? Down. What yeah. are you doing? So now I just yeah. I just do not give people access because yeah, of course smart. we want to go to the easy stuff. Like, yeah. and so, and my, the whole philosophy is that by the time we get to the food stuff, we'll be yeah. applying a very different way of thinking 100%. rather than like, Oh, Maddie says eat at this time, do this. Like, that's not what we want. Yeah. It's not what we want. We want to apply, you know, the thinking of like grace and permission and kindness and yeah. listening to our body and interpreting what's going on before we engage with food and that type of thing. So, but yeah. if we, have people jumping to the food bit, they miss that. Yeah. So that's why they're <laughs> locked out. <laughs> yeah, smart. That's actually a good point when you mentioned like people skipping ahead. I, one thing I do notice is um, people think like, oh, cool, I've processed that one thing. Like why isn't this fixed? And we want to jump ahead mm. to the result and be like, mm-hmm. cool, I'm, I'm done emotional eating. It's like it doesn't happen that quickly mm-hmm. because it's like we were saying before, it's like this is a lifelong journey and it's like all our lives up until this point we've had a completely different like programming and a different Mm -hmm. way of looking at food and things. So we can't just expect in like one or two weeks to be like, cool, I'm done. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorted. (laughs) I've processed everything. (laughs) Like, I get it. Like I I can acknowledge when that that inner critic comes up and be kind and flip the script and all these things. It's like, it doesn't happen overnight. It's Mm -hmm. like that practice. And even you mentioned before about the neural pathways and it's Mm -hmm. all about just like creating new neural pathways. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens with a lot of repetition, just like habit um, formation and behavior change. Yeah. It's repetition and consistency that gets us there. So it's more about just like staying head in the game, like focusing and just doing the things and mm-hmm. doing the repetitions until, yeah. yeah, it gets easier. And, yeah, you will get to that point where you don't turn to food um, to distract from your emotions or whatever it may be. You literally are just like, cool, I got this now because I've been doing the work. I've like yeah. got these tools. And I think as well, like for people to understand too, which is something I guess that they would probably develop in both of the programs that we run, is that falling off the bandwagon, you should plan for it. Mm. Like it's, it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's like every testimonial video that's on my website, every one of them fell off the bandwagon. Yeah. Like they might have had a great experience here and here and here and here along the journey. There's plenty of times it sucked. Yeah. You know, and it's not sexy, but that's yeah. the truth, you know, yeah. is, is that it doesn't always go perfectly. And I guess back to that fad diet culture mm-hmm. is that it's like if you fall off the bandwagon, it's over. Yeah. Like give up anyway. Oh, well. You know, it's yeah. like sunk cost versus opportunity cost. It's like, well, oh, I put in a week. That's not that much. I'll just go back to who I was before. Yeah, it's easier there. <laughs> yeah. That's my comfort zone. I only lost 500 bucks or 1,000 yeah. bucks or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like planning to be like, okay, so this week if I get it right, two out of seven days, victory. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to fall off the, the bandwagon on Wednesday and it's going to be over for three the years. Whole, yeah, three, yeah, I was going to say the whole week, but yeah, three yeah. years or, too. You know, well, some people <laughs> yeah. do have like, they're like, I tried a thing a few years ago and then yeah, yeah just got distracted and life happened and then, so and then I looked in the mirror and woke up one day and was like, shit. Like, yeah. So it could be a long time. It could be a week. Yeah. Hopefully it's a week. <laughs> and it's like almost retraining ourselves to look at it less of like a bandwagon, more of like this is not a lifestyle now. Yeah. It's like this is just how I'm choosing to live going forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I might not live that way every single day, but that doesn't mean I just give up my whole lifestyle. It's like we just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just keep, yeah, hopping on back on the bandwagon knowing that it's like it's not going anywhere. Like yeah. that's your life. Like <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> and I think as well, and I, I put a training in my Facebook group uh, on Monday which I was talking about the idea of should and must because mm. we all get caught up in being pack animals in society with social media thinking that there's all these things that we should have and yeah. we should want and we should have our body like this and we should probably eat that way and I probably yeah. should do that thing for that person. But unless it's a must, yeah. you're never going to change it. Like yeah. unless you get the should to a must. So there's two things to do there. There's one, 
figure out how to get it to a must mm-hmm. or actually accept that you don't want it. Yeah, give yourself permission yes. not to do the Just things. release <laughs> yeah. the tension and the stress from should, 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 shooting yeah. all over yourself and just be like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to live like this and that's okay. Yeah, because like, often should is coming from like a place of shame or guilt because it's yeah. like, oh, I should be doing that, which means because I'm not doing that, I'm wrong or I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. It's actually like, no, you're not. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's okay. Like you yeah. don't have to be doing all these things. Even we so often do think we should be doing more than we are. Like it's just like you said, we're looking at social media, we're looking at the way other people are doing things and we're like, oh, I should be doing it that way too or I should have that or xyz should be different and it's like no like it doesn't have to be like we get to all make our own rules totally and take some of that pressure off ourselves because we all know we've got more than enough pressure on ourselves to begin with yes (laughs) ease up a bit there's a million things we all should be doing so just take the pressure off a little bit yeah and yeah removing the shame and the guilt because the only thing coming from those is just more of an emotional burden Mm -hmm. lesser of a window of tolerance and then we're turning to our things that we need like to cope yeah. So, um, yeah, the more we can just like take that pressure off, get rid of some of that shame, get rid of that guilt, we can just be like, oh, cool, I can breathe. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's one less thing I have to deal with or process. Or, yeah, it's okay to yeah. be me. Yeah, who I am exactly. today is okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's massive, isn't it? It's okay to be me. Like that alone, like if that really lands, like, yeah, <laughs> that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people are should 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 be somebody else all of yeah. the time because they haven't confronted who they are, accepted who they are, loved who they are, respected who they are. Yeah. And interestingly, that's where the beginning to the health outcome that you want, like that's where it starts. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a secret to health, guys. Yeah, it (laughs) It really is. It is. It really is. Self-respect is so important, which is like the boundary stuff we were talking about before. Yeah, it's all interwoven, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. I could talk about emotional eating and just have this conversation with you for literally hours. But let's like kind of bring it to a close. And like, is there any like key things you really just wish people knew when it came to emotional eating or their relationship with food? Um, Yeah. I just think ownership is really important. Mm -hmm. Like, again, with whatever narrative is true for you. Mm -hmm. Like just because we're, you know, nutrition experts and, you know, good with food on Instagram, like you shouldn't want what we want. Like want what you want and figure out what you want and explore and experiment and try, but do it with curiosity, do it with exploration away from that judgment, that guilt, and just take ownership of like, this is who I am and that, that is okay. And, and it's also okay to want to be different. Like, and so I would just say curiosity, exploration and permission for you to be you is the place to begin. Definitely. And yeah, from that place, like you mentioned, like it's okay to want to be different, but it needs to be from that place of love. Yes. Like uh, rather than being like, I hate myself, so I need to be different. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. Like this is how I am. I love and accept myself as I am. And because I love myself and because I have so much respect for myself, I want more for myself or I want different for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And coming at it from that place as opposed to so often, especially when like we've talked a lot about diet culture and when we're in the diet culture world, it's coming from that place of like the hate or the punishment. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that ownership and just really doing it from the place of love is such a, yeah, good one to touch on. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. And if anyone is curious about your Epic program, where (laughs) can they find you and more about it? Yeah, cool. So my website, which is just www.maddielansdown.com. Um, there's plenty of info on it on the podcast too. So how to not get sick and die. So all the podcast platforms and Facebook, got a Facebook group for healthy women. So come hang out there as well. Um, yeah, on the internet. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. And we'll pop the um, links in the show notes too. Thank you. And on the note of the podcast, is mm-hmm. there anything that you'd love to share with us about your podcasting journey, some key takeaways from there or anything that relates or you feel like you want to drop in this episode? My recommendation would be to go listen to it. And the episodes <laughs> I've listened to have been epic. Like you've got some incredible guests on there. But yeah, are there any like little nuggets that you feel like you can impart or give them a little teaser for what they can expect over on your podcast platform? Yeah, for sure. So um, the podcast is often called a one-stop shop, which is why it's like how to not get sick and die because there's a million ways for that to be the case. Yeah. Um, but also I try and do it in a very lighthearted, comical way. And so it's been joked many times that it should be called Maddie Ruins Everything. <laughs> so I do a lot of myth busting in regards to, it sounds not very interesting, but I make it interesting. Yeah. Um, policy and marketing myths and advertising lies and just 
religion and how religion has like affected the way that we do things. And so um, I go multiple layers deep as to why we understand the world of health and wellness, the way that we understand it now. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, that's how I learned to comprehend it, like how we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just try and touch on a bit of everything. So, we, yeah, we go yeah. from religion to gender stuff to health and wellness to disease to medicine to diet, all of the things. Yeah, so. epic. And it's so true, like everything is related to our health mm. like because our health impacts everything and it's vice versa as well. Yeah. Like all of those things are so interrelated and in the way that we show up and like eat ourselves or mm-hmm. move our body or like look after ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. love it. It all matters. It does. <laughs> we love our holistic health. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and there's so much of it. Yeah, so much. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It's been so fun chatting about all things emotional eating. Um, Thanks yeah. for having me. You're so It's been welcome. good talking about this stuff. Yeah, we could just yeah. go and go and go on this yeah. topic. <laughs> we'll have to get you back for part two. I'm keen. I'm keen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lock it in. Awesome. Thanks, Maddie. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.